This is listener-supported WFHB, Bloomington, Bedford, Ellettsville, Nashville. Community radio for South Central Indiana. Online at WFHB.org. The current weather is sunny with a high of 46, and tonight it's going to be clear with a low of 34 degrees. nights from 6 to 7 p.m. Join us on Blooming Out, an hour of Indiana's only LGBTQ plus talk show. Broadcast live from the studios of WFHB, Blooming Out is a weekly public affairs show which engages members of the LGBTQ plus and ally community with news, entertainment, and events. Both locally and from around the world, that's Blooming Out every Thursday, 6 to 7 p.m. on WFHB. Welcome to Blooming Out, Indiana's only LGBTQ plus news and public affairs show featuring music, events, and interviews both local and global. From the WFHB studios in Bloomington, Indiana, this is Blooming Out. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Blooming Out. I'm Frankie Preslav. And I am Rachel Jones. And I'm Alex Ashkin. Thank you for joining us for a new edition of Indiana's only queer public affairs radio show. We conveniently post to wfhb.org, so if you can't listen live, you can hear this and other episodes via the WFHB website. Each and every week we produce a show by and for the gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, queer, and allied communities. Our listeners can always count on us to cover the most pressing issues, interesting people, and latest events reflecting the TLGBQ plus life in Indiana, the U.S., and across the world. Our featured stories focus on topics both at home and abroad. Tonight we are going to examine a recent article from Huffington Post writer Rebecca Klein regarding the Department of Education's Office of Civil Rights' recent dismissal of several Title IX discrimination suits. We will discuss the importance of Title IX protection for transgender students and what we can do to help lend our voices to help benefit some of the younger members of the LGBTQ community. We are joined in the studio today with Democratic 9th 
um, Indiana Congressional District candidate Liz Watson. Um, Watson is facing um, Dan uh, Cannon, um, among others, in the upcoming primary. But first, we'll discuss Title IX. On Tuesday, January 16th, the Huffington Post published an article detailing the recent dismissal of several of the Title IX discrimination suits filed with the Office of Civil Rights. These cases were filed by various transgendered students, opening cases attempting to protect their right to use restroom facilities matching the individual's gender identity. It was back in Friday, Febu- back in February 2017, when the Trump administration rescinded the Obama-era executive order extending Title IX protections to transgendered students. So, I feel like this is a really key issue um, with regards to how the LGBTQ plus movement is kind of going to be seen over the next few years, um, because. At the end of the day, uh, first, this is sort of impacting our youngest individuals, kids who are in grade school, high school, stuff like that. And the thing that's sort of interesting about all of this is that despite there being dismissals of these cases, the official line from the White House is that they haven't really issued any clear guidance one way or another. The biggest thing that they're trying to address right now is the quote-unquote backlog of cases that are currently at the Office of Civil Rights within the Department of Education. Do you believe that? I mean, okay, so so he starts with Title IX. We also have transgender in the military. And the bathroom issue beyond children in school, I think LGBT rights were slow to come, and, and they've arrived a lot. I mean, we, we've we gotten much more freedom than we ever have, but transgender was always behind in what was happening. Um, and I think in dismantling LGBT rights, take the transgender rights first because there are less of us, and begin tearing everything else down with the cake issue and things like that. Um, I think it's deliberate. Well, I agree with you. And thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, This is Liz Watson running in the ninth. Um, You know, when the Trump administration took this step, and it was pretty much immediate uh, after, you know, after coming in to roll back these protections for transgender students, um, right at the moment when we're making so much progress toward full equality, it's, it's, this is just devastating for our youth. And when you look at the rates of um, bullying of LGBTQ youth in school, when you look at rates of suicide, you know, this is, I mean, this can be life or death for some kids, whether they have these protections. And um, I actually had the opportunity uh, to work on some of the interpretations of Title IX when I was at the National Women's Law Center before uh, Obama, the Obama administration issued the guidance interpreting Title IX as including um, gender identity and sexual orientation because, of course, Title IX speaks just to sex on its face. And so, you know, to see this rolling that work back is... Um, is really painful for for students across the country and those who love them. My nephew transitioned right at the beginning of the school year and, you know, started uh, high school as a freshman in public school without these protections. And, you know, and I, 
he's had a wonderful uh, year. He's freshman class president. Uh, but I worried for him every single day, you know, what happens if something goes wrong and there's no backstop. And, and I don't just worry for him. I worry for kids all across the country. So what do we do right now? I mean, the, the big question is, is, as a group, you know, and I, I'm i kind of going back to local. You know, that's where you hit up the, the – We, you're shaking your head no at me. No, I'm not at all. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I was – we work on public sentiment. Right. Public yeah. sentiment is ultimately what changes the law. Well, ideally, public sentiment is always – ultimately what changes the law. Right. So, you know, we know that, um, and of course, what what the administration is doing isn't just limited. And of course, we talked about uh, the attacks on transgender men and women serving in our military, which of course the courts have said is insane. Right. Um, and it's obvious to anyone, you know, anyone who's putting themselves in harm's way, um, you degrade their service, you degrade our country uh, by, you know, acting at that like they're less than. Uh, it is just reprehensible and unconscionable what Trump did. Um, you know, but it's not just limited to the military, right? We know that the Department of Justice has taken the position that also uh, in employment, you know, that Title Seven no longer protects uh, people on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity in employment um, cases. And um, I'm teaching employment discrimination law right now, actually, at the law school. And, of course, that's an open question, and mm-hmm. and courts have gone both ways. So I think we need to still assert that those protections are there. The EEOC has held that those protections are there. So you have agencies within the federal government that are at odds with themselves. Um, I worked for the first um, out commissioner at the EEOC, Heifelbloom, and, and she is a very strong advocate for interpreting our existing civil rights laws as protecting us based on sexual orientation and gender identity. And I think, you know, we have to stick to our guns there. Absolutely. One thing that I find is a particularly kind of complex and interesting factor within this is sort of the non- the, the very sparse language overall issued by the Trump administration. Um, something that I think would be lovely, and Liz, if you wouldn't mind commenting on it, is sort of if if uh, elected as a lawmaker, is there some way you think there might be an opportunity for uh, you know our congressmen and women to sort of keep the administration's feet to the fire and say? No, please, please make this clear for us because, you know, right now courts are clearly sort of ruling in the favor of transgender students. They're ruling that Title IX does protect those on the basis of gender identity. But how, in a certain way, is it possible to sort of undo that precedence through uh, a memorandum or guidance? Mm-hmm. So um, so two things, you know, one is we could use uh, the power of Congress, right, to enact the Equality Act, which we ought to do immediately. And I would be fighting for um, from day one of, of my term in Congress. So the Equality Act amends our civil rights titles, including Title IX, which protects students in education, and Title VII, which protects um, people in the workplace, uh, to include sexual orientation and gender identity explicitly. So, you know, 
first off, it is ridiculous that that has not passed. Um, and so anybody uh, who's in Congress, you know, whether Democrat or Republican, should be fighting for that. Uh, when I so I was a staffer in Congress for a couple of years, and I uh, I worked for the. House Education and Labor Committee. I was the labor policy uh, director. Was this with Frank McCluskey? Uh, no, oh, no. no I, I worked for Frank when I was 18 years okay, old. Okay, okay, hello. So, um, <laughs> I'm just a couple of years past that. <laughs> well, you look really good. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. Um, so, no, this was uh, for the ranking member, the okay, Democrat okay. on the committee who's there now, okay. um, whose name is Bobby Scott, who's one of the most senior members of the Congressional Caucus and the Congressional Black Caucus. Um, So, uh, you know, I believe that any member of Congress, uh, every single member ought to be co-sponsoring and pushing for that legislation. I put it into a package of bills called the Working Families Agenda that I developed uh, and then went around Congress collecting co-sponsors and telling everybody, you know, there's a core set of things that if you're going to call yourself a Democrat, you better be on this bill. And that was one of them. Um, so the first thing is let's get that Equality Act done, you know, straight away. It doesn't make sense that you can, you know, get married on a Sunday and go to work on a Monday and put a picture of your spouse on your desk and get fired just because that spouse is the same sex that you are. That's nuts. It doesn't make any sense at all. It doesn't accord with our sense of fairness. You know, most people have no idea that we don't have that federal protection, right? right? right. They have no idea. They think it's there and it's not there. Right. So, um, you know, that's the first thing. But then I think you posed a really interesting question, uh, the second question that you asked, which is, you know, what can members of Congress do to really push the administration to interpret existing law broadly? You know, because our existing law, it's not like it's static. You know, it, it sort of you know, expands over time to fit the circumstances in front of it, right? Um, today, I was teaching harassment law to my students. And when, you know, Title VII was passed, there was no cause of action for harassment. That's not written into Title VII. You know, we just understand that as a as a type of discrimination today because it's something that enough people have suffered through and made clear, you know, hurts them. And, and the courts have finally come to recognize it. So law evolves to fit, you know, what we understand as being wrong and unfair. So it's very clear that we should be pushing on the EEOC um, and the DOJ, you know, to issue, uh, yes, guidance documents that make clear that if you're discriminating on the basis of sex, that includes sexual orientation and gender identity. Now, you know, the best way to do that is to make sure that it has real teeth, and that's like a formal rulemaking process, you know, um, where there's notice and comment rulemaking, and we can actually make it stick because guidance documents, as you can see, can be withdrawn. So, yeah. Do you feel there's enough strength or cohesion from both sides to get this done? Because I would feel there are a lot of Republicans that would not want to see this go through. Well, right. I mean, that's the problem. You know, I'm sick and tired of a Congress that doesn't share our values, that isn't looking out for fairness. You know, they're not doing the right thing. They're not doing the smart thing. And really, they're not doing anything that's good for us, right? They're doing stuff that's only good for them. Um, Now, uh, the fact is, actually, though, I think what's really interesting, and we saw this in Indiana, you know, in the reaction to Mike Pence with the you know, religious freedom debacle, you know, this isn't what businesses want. You know, businesses know when you discriminate, it's terrible for business. But do you think within the, the, the Trump world have things have changed? And would that be the, the same experience, you know, of a 
governor did the same yeah. thing in Indiana again. And I wonder about that. You know, I was on the forefront of that one, and it was a, a great group of community that of people that got together to really fight for that. And, you know, we were able to, you know, come out successful. Yeah. Um, but I, I wonder you. if it happened right now. Um, would we, would we have the backing? Um, would they care? Um, and would companies, you know, as you're watching with the, the you know, what's going on with the, the, the tax issues and, you know, and the corporations and the billions of dollars of credits that are, they're giving to their employees, mm-hmm. you know, for this one time deal. Um, I, you know, I just, that makes me really nervous is that, you know, one, kook, <laughs> excuse my French, um, you know, gets out there and decides, uh, you know, we're going to take things back again. And will the corporation stand up? Mm-hmm. I mean, we haven't had anything really yet uh, since Trump's been out there to, to have, you know, I guess the, the a lot of corporations have stood up for the against the bathroom law, though. Look at North Carolina um, sports who was it that pulled out NCAA or was it? Yes, NCAA pulled out holding a national tournament. But that there. wasn't within. I, I don't know. Was that within the Trump administration when that occurred? No. That was before. Yeah, it was before. Yeah. I mean, to your to your question about you know, do we have the votes in Congress? No, we don't. I mean, we don't have the votes right now that we need. Uh, to make sure that we are doing right by LGBTQ people. That's why we haven't passed the Equality Act. I mean, I know you know this. And and that's why we have to put people in who share our values and who are going to fight um, for LGBTQ people because right now they're not there. And they're not there... They're not there fighting on racial justice. They're not there fighting on economic justice. They're not there fighting on environmental justice. Um, the folks who are in Congress, you know, I think their values are just lining their campaign war chests, and that's pretty much it. It's all about corporate greed. Okay. Um, we're going to take a break from the discussion of that hi- um, excuse me, that highlights one of Bloomington's many um, wonderful bands, Murder by Death. Murder by Death is um, produ- produced um, of several Indiana University alumni, Adam Torrell and Sarah Ballette, among others, formed in 2000. The band has gained nor- notoriety oh, for, <laughs> for their unique sounds and oddball events such as their annual show of the S- Stanley Hotel in Colorado. Backup drop to the uh, classic film of The Shining, uh, they have since moved from Bloomington to Louisville uh, area to focus on their music career. Tonight, we'll be playing a selection from the 2012 Murder by Death album, Bitter Drink, Bitter Moon, beginning with the track, Lost River. Place 
party can hide oh, I know a place where a party can hide Last time I saw you our table was bare If you hurry and join me I will lead you there Oh, sink beneath the water Sink into the deep In a pond just off the road That feeds this muddy creek Oh, in a pond just off the road That feeds this muddy creek Though my days are over You know where I'll be Swim that lost river Though my days are done, the waters will always run Swim that lost river to me Though I'm gone, don't be afraid We'll meet again on the river someday The croak of the frogs will lead you true Where skirt greenstones so I know it's you Oh, where skirt greenstones to drag you to Though my days are over You know where I'll be Swim that lost river to me Though my days are done, the waters will always run. Find the la la lost river. Find me. Listening to Lost River by Murder by Death. We now will open our discussion with to Liz Watson to get her thoughts on the recent discrimination case dismissal by the Civil Rights Office. So, Liz, uh, it, do you think that there is a reasonable way to sort of gain more uh, grassroots support behind the LGBTQ community and particularly to sort of speak out on behalf of, in particular, these students who are suffering uh, or at least, you know, have cases open for discrimination or 
you know, it, it, do you think that there's a way to kind of build a coalition to uh, sort of continue to fight the good fight, as it might be said? Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. And I, I think it's incredibly important that we do this for our um, students. You know, as I said, you know, for some for some students, this is really life and death, whether they have those protections. So it's not a question of these would be nice to have. And if they're pulled away, oh, well, it's a question of, you know, how are we going to keep our kids safe? And so um, I think, you know, we can we can think about broadening this out by really making sure that people understand this, uh, both as a civil rights issue, but also um, as a public health issue. You know, you're you know, um, the rates of suicide among um, LGBTQ kids are so much higher than in the general population. I mean, really, we want to make sure that we have our public health system, our our teachers and parents as as advocates uh, for their students, that we are, you know, forming uh, groups to serve as allies in schools uh, for, you know, so that our students realize that even, you know, in the midst of this terrible rollback of some of the most important protections that we've ever established um, for LGBTQ kids, you know, that there are communities of support. And so sometimes I think you do really have to um, have to bring it back to the grassroots. And so talk about, you know, what is it that parents and students can be doing in individual schools to make a difference. And I think this should start, you know, very early. I think it should start, you know, early in elementary school so that because it's hard to unlearn discrimination, right? And so I think if we if we're teaching kids very young um, about what it means to have a culture that is respectful of all our students and uh, and that's very, very important. Absolutely. And you had mentioned uh, briefly in that last comment that you kind of want to build up uh, a sense that the LGBTQ movement is part and parcel to the civil rights movement. Um, In the past, I think there has been uh, several groups that sort of view that as two distinctly separate issues and sort of how would you go about uh, rhetorically or just sort of like in, you know, that day-to-day conversation, trying to kind of open someone's mind up to the idea of these are kind of two sides of the same coin? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it, it it feels extremely clear to me that LGBTQ rights are civil rights, um, just the same as any other uh, group of people who were trying to make sure have full equality. Um, so, you know, how how would you explain that? I mean, I think one thing we can do is to, you know, if, if the person you're talking to is an LGBTQ themselves, well, then maybe their brother or sister or mother or, right, best friend is. And this is really about making sure that um, – Every single person in our community has the same rights and privileges as any other. And that's the basic promise of America that we have never realized, but which it is the American project. It, it seems like it is so easy to get people sidetracked on a single issue. And even if the issue is created, like the bathroom issue, it becomes so amazingly polarizing um, with no evidence really at all behind it, 
to make people feel this way, how do we combat mm -hmm. something as simple as that? Because it is so divisive. I remember when I was a baby lawyer um, getting a question. I was helping. Uh, I was doing some work for a group that helped nonprofits create their employee policies. And I had some nonprofit call me and say, oh, my gosh, we're going to the beach and we have a transgender employee and we don't know what bathroom he's going to use. And, oh, <laughs> you know, what are we going to do? And it was really, I mean, it was just sort of mind boggling to me how fearful this employer was and how much they were sort of creating, um, you know, and of course it is incredibly important for the transgender employee what bathroom they're going to use, but it's of no business and no consequence whatsoever to the employer. Um, and I said, the person is going to use whatever bathroom he chooses to use, and you are going to let him if you know what's good for you. And and that is actually true from a liability perspective as well. And they did, and they got over it, and they just took a deep breath. And sometimes, you know, that's what it takes, right, is just, um, you know, you have to counsel people who are really struggling through these issues and help them come out on the other side and... Uh, but the thing is, until we have the reason that we need these clear protections is because if we don't have them, it's very clear that we're going to have people discriminating. I mean, that's you've got to have legal standards that are clear cut. And that's what title that's what rescinding the Title IX for trans kids is doing. It's mm -hmm. it's taking that away. Yeah, it's throwing it back into kind of what the Republicans have been doing, you know, calling them perverts and scaring the public of, you know, these are, you know, people on the fringes that we want to keep our children away because we read about that all the time, right, in the newspaper, jokingly I say that, um, about, you know, people being attacked in bathrooms. And I, I was saying in the 50 years that I've been alive, I can't remember an incident that I've been in the bathroom where I've had, you know, any any issue with anybody <laughs> hang around a conservative religious politician right. and you may well find that yeah you're right i'll tap my foot and run no away no comment <laughs> <laughs> it's true <laughs> so i have a quick question you mentioned that you're working with uh companies and trying to help them introduce uh or like craft their employee rights legislation it, to what point is some of these issues just sort of founded out of the sheer fact that there hasn't been much exposure? Um, plenty of the population don't necessarily know an individual who's transgendered or, you know, organizations may not have worked with them before. So, you know, I think as, uh, you know, things have changed. I mean, I think people are starting to know more transgender people in their community. Um, and so that's good and that's important. And I think, um, you know, we see, I mean, certainly attitudes are shifting and evolving. Uh, but I, I mean, I do think that, you know, the more familiarity people have with people who are trans, they're going to realize this person is just like you or me, just living their life, you know, and that that familiarity is really, really important. So, you know, I think um, that we do see, and, and and this is something that we've seen, you know, also with sexual orientation, you know, that as um, folks have come out, you know, that <laughs> people who were, who were bigoted have just said, oh, actually, that's my neighbor, that's my friend, 
whatever. I mean, and we have seen that evolve over time. Excuse us for a few moments as we put this discussion on hold to read our weekly events calendar. Coming up is Suavemente, a benefit for Puerto Rico. Come to the back door on Friday, January 26th, starting at 10 p.m. for the Latinx Variety Show to benefit the victims of Hurricane Maria. The event will include several performers like Corvin Rose and Orana Peron. Donations are suggested. For more information, check the calendar section at the back door's website at bckdoor.com. Bloomington Pride Film Festival is this weekend, exploring the lives and experiences of the LGBTQ community through feature-length and short films and live performances that advocate community-wide awareness of acceptance and appreciation of diversity. The event will be held from Thursday, January 25th to Saturday the 27th at the Buskirk Chumley Theater. Check bloomingtonpride.org backslash events for more details. The Backdoor is having the official Pride Film Festival after party. Head to the Backdoor this Saturday starting at 11 p.m. for the official Pride Film Festival after party. Hosted by the vivacious Patio Weave, featuring performers like Sage Summers and Matilda Rose. This will be a night to remember. Now back to Blooming Out here on WFHB. Welcome back to Blooming Out. We are lucky enough to be joined in the studio by another political hopeful, Bloomington's own Liz Watson. Liz Watson is a product of Bloomington, studied at Georgetown Law School before moving on to a position as Director of Workplace Justice at the National Women's Law Center and Labor Policy Director for Congressional Democrats. First, let's just take a moment. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is a pleasure to have you in the studio. Yeah, we Well, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for inviting well, me. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was just thinking about, um, so, so my son has a, a friend, uh, his closest friend, who just also transitioned this year and is, they're both, well, he's 11 and, and a sixth grader. Um, and, you know, he was really fortunate to have, uh, we're actually good friends with everybody who works at that school and, you know, a, a wonderful uh, school environment where, you know, just incredibly thoughtful conversations with the uh, parents um, of the other, you know, uh, children in the school to make sure that their children were respectful about the transition, incredibly thoughtful conversations with the students in the class um, and, you know, thoughtful conversations about, you know, transitioning with his name and, you know, everything else. And it, you know, and it's been, you know, just to see him kind of, you know, um, blossom really uh, now that he's able to feel like he's living as his true self has been a really beautiful thing. And, you know, he's just so much more at ease. Um, And he's, he's such a great kid. And it's a wonderful thing that, you know, they had a school that was, welcoming and thoughtful and kind and inviting and you know did everything right but they just got lucky right you know and so you think about schools like the lighthouse school here in bloomington you know that has said that they're not going to admit students or even students students who are lgbtq right or somebody who is related to a person who's lgbtq 
because, you know, they just want to be that openly hostile. And, um, you know, Betsy DeVos, our Secretary of Education, said, well, that's just fine. They can go ahead and, you know, get uh, public taxpayer dollars can be put into a school that's going to discriminate against our kids, you know, which just makes, um, I just feel like if you can't see fire coming out my ears, I feel right. like it's coming out right now. So, you know, it shouldn't be that in order to get treated the way my son's friend got treated, you have to kind of win the school lottery. Uh, you should be getting treated that way at every single school you go to, and that should be the promise of public education in America, and that should be the promise under Title IX. And because of the actions that Trump has taken, it no longer is. And we have to fight back tooth and nail to restore those protections. Do you think, uh, you know, just kind of the, your, your base, you know, that, that in, in the Ninth District are going to support you, you know, when it comes down to it for, for this type of uh, – policies of, you know, for the transgender community, the LGBT community, um, or do you think it's going to be a little more difficult because you are outspoken and you, you know, you put your money where your mouth is, um, you know, how do you think that's going to come out in the wash? I mean, as you, as you're going forward and you're talking to people and you're hearing, are you surprised that, uh, there's a lot of support out there? Or are you nervous because you're seeing that people are kind of pushing back a little bit? I'm pretty straightforward about my values. I'm, I'm running uh, because I believe in fairness. I believe in equality. And I think on every level, from civil rights to economic justice, um, access to health care, you know, right now things are fundamentally unfair and fundamentally unequal. And we have to do something about it. And I'm out there on that. And I think people respect that. You know, they respect somebody who's really clear with them about the value proposition that they bring and about how they would govern. Um, I just got the endorsement of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, uh, which is the caucus of the most progressive members of Congress. They voted on Friday to endorse me. That includes um, Bernie Sanders and, you know, Pramila Jayapal and all those kinds of folks. Um, So, you know, I think that Right here in southern Indiana, um, we have a lot of people who know what it's like uh, to get shafted and who understand that, you know, and who know what it's like to be treated unfairly. You know, and when you say, I'm fighting back, I'm fighting for every single one of us, every single one of us deserves to be treated with dignity. They get that. Right. You you said something um, just a minute ago that really... I found encouraging. I think for either you or Dan to go forward, I think a war chest will have to be accrued to be able to spend something comparable with Trey Hollingsworth. But I think more importantly, the district is so amazingly gerrymandered that if you do not have the ability to convert some of the people, and maybe that's a strong word, but to win some of the people that are on the fence that are that voted for him and and can you talk a little bit more about the success you've had yeah. um doing that because that's huge yeah so you know there are a lot of folks i think here in southern indiana who feel like washington has turned its back on them uh who feel like it's not listening you know they hear the story of low unemployment and private sector job growth and everything's rah rah and that's totally you know, at odds with their experience. And they're saying, you know, my kids are addicted to opioids. I can't afford to fill my prescriptions. I'm working two minimum wage jobs, and I still can't make things work, you know, and who is going to fight for me? 
And the thing is, I've been fighting for people in that situation my whole life. And when I say I am, you know, they believe me. And that's why 23 labor unions have endorsed me. I have um, actually right now I'm the only candidate to have uh, the support of Indiana labor unions. Uh, and that's meaningful. You know, the labor union vote was a 50 percent Trump vote. But it seems very clear that uh, that vote is coming straight for me. Wonderful. Yeah. How about your, um, as far as, let's just talk about kind of just the meat of your, your campaign right now. Um, where are your locations at? I mean, you're, you're set up where? Mm-hmm. So we um, have an office that we have here in Bloomington. So we have a, a little um, room in the Democratic Party headquarters. And we're opening on February uh, February. First, uh, looking at my campaign manager to keep my date straight, uh, February 1st, our office in New Albany. So we're very excited about that. Um, we are doing walks and door knocks across the district. We were out um, and, and knocked uh, 500 doors this weekend. And, you know, we're doing that every, you know, chance we get. Uh, we are holding town halls across the district. So, What are those? Okay. <laughs> I know. Well, here's the funny thing. Um, I went out to Scottsburg because I heard that Trey was going to hold a town hall. Okay. And so I went out there. I thought this is probably my only chance. It was like a Chamber of Commerce-sponsored uh-huh. town hall where you RSVP to the Koch Brothers representative. And I was going to bring... 500 petitions I collected from all 13 counties saying vote no on this terrible tax scam. Well, I think he heard I was coming because he canceled the town hall at the last minute. I still showed up with 24 residents from five counties, and they told their stories of what it means to them uh, to give this giant giveaway to the 1%. And so I realized then that people really want to have a say. I mean, it's all about making sure that people can have a say in the decisions that are being made about us right now in Washington entirely without us. And so what I said then, I announced at 7 a.m. in the morning in Scottsburg, you know, if Trey won't meet with you, I will. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to hold a town hall on the tax law. And that was my second town hall. I held it about two weeks ago in Seymour. Trey showed up a couple days later in Seymour. I wonder why. Interesting. It's following me around. Right. Uh, And then I'm going to be holding town halls uh, throughout throughout the ninth on a range of issues we did a survey and we asked folks what you know what do you want to have town halls on our next one is on education uh, at ivy tech in sellersburg uh we're gonna hold a town hall on medical marijuana which will be here in bloomington on the opioid crisis on healthcare, on good jobs on environmental issues um and uh, I, we may add some as we get going but those are the ones we have planned so far so what's your take on healthcare? I mean, that's obviously the, the buzz and kind of fell into that. Mm-hmm. W- what are you um, proposing as far as, you know, what you see needs to happen? Yeah. So when I'm out across the district, I mean, I hear from people all the time who can't afford to fill their prescriptions. You know, I hear from people who have Medicare but are really concerned that Paul Ryan is going to come for it, you know, um, and, you know, folks who – see the $200,000. I just talked to somebody two days ago who said, you know, my my bills for cancer treatment are $200,000. Um, you know, what would happen if 
I didn't have Medicare to help me pay for this. Um, so I do support Medicare for all. I think it's really important that those kinds of visionary ideas are putting being put on the table. I also think we need to be able to negotiate prescription drug prices. Um, you know, big pharma has made that pretty much impossible, but the VA does it, right? And the VA as a purchaser is really able to hold down uh, the costs of healthcare by negotiating. So we need to be able to, to do that too under Medicare. Right. So, and then, um, of course, middle class, you know, that's the, the big scream right now. You're, you're hearing about bringing back the middle class and, um, you know, the, the jobs, you know, are, are, are there at least when you, when you look, but what's, are they real jobs, meaning people can, uh, uh, you know, will, will take, you know, aren't working for minimum wage and they're bringing real jobs to Indiana that are, are actually going to keep people here. And, you know, and allow our children to, you know, be productive and, and, and continue to stay here. Um, wh- where do you see you playing in, in, in this part? So, look, right now, um, you know, the tax law we just passed incentivized companies shipping jobs overseas. We just saw a carrier send another 200 jobs uh, to Mexico after Trump promised they would stay here. We have carrier workers right here in Johnson County who lost their jobs, you know, because right. of that. Um, we need to both, you know, stop bad trade deals that ship jobs overseas, but we also need to uh, invest in raising the wages of the jobs we do have here in the ninth. So I uh, led the team that developed the $15 minimum wage bill in Congress, and we should pass it. Indiana's minimum wage is seven twenty-five an hour. If you work for tips, that's two thirteen, and you're probably going to be harassed if you're working for tips, right? Because it's, it's hard to tell people right. to knock it off when if you say that, you're not going to get the tips that that are your living. Um, And now Trump's tip pooling rule says that if you make 725, the employer can steal all your tips. That's insane. You know, so we're going absolutely in the wrong direction. We need to raise wages. We need to make real investments in workforce training, things like career and technical education. We actually have some amazing career and tech programs here in the ninth. Registered union apprenticeship. We've got great examples of that that we can build on. And and that's the kind of skills and training for the three quarters of people in our district who don't have a four-year degree. Um, We need to make sure that we're making them as prepared as they can be for the jobs of the future in a very rapidly changing economy. This is wonderful information. Let's take another short break and listen to our second featured song of the hour, Rambling, by the band Murder by Death. I go where the greenwoods grow and the fires light up the night, you know I've been around Steam pours off the frigid pines, weave through mountains, took my time, I've been around
You've been listening to Ramble, Ramblin' from 2012 Murder by Death album, Bitter Drink, Bitter Moon. Let's return to our discussion. So we're kind of throwing a lot of questions at you. Um, one of the hot-button topics is uh, gun control, um, being a state that uh, people like their guns. Um, what's your thoughts on that? Well, look, there are some issues you approach as a policy person, and for me, there are some issues I approach as a mom. You know, so I've got two kids, and they get on the school bus every day, and I just think to myself, you know, I hope they come home safe at the end of the day. Um, We have a crisis in this country, and we all know it, and we can't hide from it. You know, it's very clear that um, something has got to be done to put a stop to... Um, you know, what has just been devastating uh, for families across the country. Um, and so every time there's a mass shooting, we say this. Right. And nothing happens. So I think we've all had just about enough of that. Um, and we're adults. And listen, responsible gun owners agree on this. They agree, you know, that we need to close loopholes um, around and make sure that uh folks do get background checks. Uh, We need to, uh, you know, have a ban on uh, having assault, you know, style weapons. We don't need those for hunting or fishing, right? Um, Those are things that responsible gun owners agree on. Um, Folks who are victims of uh, domestic violence, you know, shouldn't have to worry that their abuser is going to get a gun and come back after them. Responsible gun owners agree on these things. Look, I grew up in a house with two guns uh, right here in southern Indiana. Now, I couldn't tell you where those guns are because they were locked up and safely put away my whole childhood. We need to make sure that that's true. You know, right now we have a situation where kids go over to another kid's house, right, and they get killed. Right. Uh, because, you know, and you have to ask, um, do you have guns and are they <laughs> are they safe? Right? I mean, we can keep, we can keep our guns safe. Um, you know, people around here have guns for hunting and protection, and I believe in the Second Amendment, and I'm not trying to take away anybody's guns. You know, the Second Amendment is important, um, and it's an important part of our culture here in southern Indiana. But we can be safe, and we can be smart about the way that we 
take care of our guns and take care of our kids. I think one of the most pressing issues we have, and, and we've not maybe felt it as much here in Indiana as it as it's happening, but, but we will, um, and we live in an age of in, um, alternative facts, and they particularly pertain to climate. Um, it's a huge fear of mine what's happening to our planet. I don't know if you share this opinion or not, mm-hmm. and if so, what can we do to help? Mm-hmm. So I'm incredibly concerned about climate change. I'm concerned that we have a climate change denier who's in charge of the EPA. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, the actions that the Trump administration has taken, they've rolled back, I think, more than 50 environmental protections uh, since coming into office, you know, are exactly in the wrong direction, uh, withdrawing from the Paris uh, Climate Agreement. Uh, you know, not only is that terrible for our future, but it also makes a mockery of us on the world stage. Um, you know, so this is exactly the opposite of what we ought to be doing. I have talked a lot about how we ought to be investing in renewable energy jobs here as an economic development tool here in southern Indiana. Um, we shouldn't be losing the race to China for you know wind and solar jobs. Uh, those should be uh, jobs that we are investing in right here at home. So these are the kinds of jobs of the future that we should be training people for. Um, when we talk about infrastructure investment, it's not just roads, bridges, and highways. It's also investing in our renewable energy, right, uh, and investing in a renewable energy workforce and creating that workforce for the future. In the 70s, there were um, tax incentives for people that would go solar or wind, and those have all gone away. And now mm-hmm. it seems you get kudos to our energy companies that they put in a solar field or a wind field. And, you know, that is wonderful. But is there a way to decentralize this at all where I could have an affordable solar panel and wind panel and be off the grid if I wanted to? Mm-hmm. So I absolutely think we ought to be incentivizing and, and giving tax uh, incentives to folks to, you know, be um, – installing uh, those things in their own homes uh, to, you know, energy conservation. Uh, That's the kind of thing that we can incentivize and that smart policy would incentivize. Yeah. And so real quickly, um, do you think that there's anything that can be done to sort of bring some teeth back at least to the EPA's enforcement if there is anything that can be done sort of to you know, put a little bit of pressure on the EPA to at least continue enforcing what regulations are on the books? Well, one of the main jobs of members of Congress is to actually hold the administration accountable. I mean, that's why every congressional committee, whether they're the Oversight and Government Reform Committee in the House or any other committee, has oversight as one of their main functions. So, you know, as a member of Congress, I would be insisting that the EPA do its job, right, of enforcing our environmental laws and protections. And of course, you know, you say, well, and what does that mean? It means making sure that the agency is adequately funded. It means making sure that laws on the books that we have are actually enforced. You know, the agencies are not supposed to go rogue and do their own thing entirely. They're actually supposed to follow the law. Their their job is to implement the law, not to ignore the law. Right. Imagine that. (laughs) I, I, I think that's all true. But when they initiate alternative facts and people are confused and they refute this is happening, um, 
then the law is less pertinent because it's not really happening. How how do you combat um, shying away from real science that 90% of the scientists of the world believe and a few corporate don't, but they have the voice? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, as a as a member of Congress, if I were elected, uh, you know, if we have agencies that are completely um, – acting in a way that is at odds with the mission of the agency, right? I mean, then then we should bring them in for oversight hearings and investigation uh, into why it is that they're not doing their job. You know, and that is actually a thing that, that Congress ought to do and should do, um, you know. With alternative facts, they say mm-hmm. they are doing their job. <laughs> I mean, that that's the point of an alternative fact. Um, is there some kind of standard that can be internationally agreed upon that is then irrefutable? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we should we should believe in science and evidence. Right. Yes. it's just and progress. Education, education, <laughs> Wall Street. You know, as far as you know, just what, what you're taking. You know, that's an, an, another. You know, uh, where, where, where Trump screaming and yelling. You know, you're hearing a lot of the politicians. You know, talking about on on, on that. Where's your stance with that? Um, well, I mean, I think that you know, Trump has done everything he can to create giant giveaways for Wall Street. I mean, just look at this tax law. You know, he said. Well, if I give, you know, a huge tax break to um, our largest corporations and to our wealthiest Americans, that's going to result in higher wages for ordinary people. Well, you know, in fact, what it is resulting in is is perhaps, uh, you know, um, helping shareholders. Uh, but but how many ordinary people are shareholders? Right. They're, you know, they're not. Uh, so, you know, it's very clear that this administration has prioritized Wall Street over Main Street. Well, guess what? Indiana is filled with Main Street. Right. And, and communicating, I guess, that back to your, uh, you know, the your your your, your base. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was I, I was in um, Morgan. I, I guess I was. Where was I in Martinsville? I think. And uh I was talking to a guy who was telling me about, you know, in so many of our little towns, what we see is, you know, a little business opens up on Main Street and then it shuts down and it can't sustain itself for more than a year. If if it's lucky, it sustains itself a year. And, you know, why is that? What's going on? Why can't we have a flourishing small town economy in some of our little towns like Salem or Paoli, you know? And... A lot of that has to do with the fact that the people who are shopping in those stores don't have any disposable income whatsoever. You know, and the guy I was talking to, for reasons I won't get into, I'm very sure was a Republican. But I I said to him, you know, do you think it might be that people just don't have any money to buy stuff? And he said, yeah, I, I think that's what it is, you know. And so that making that really clear to people that we have an economy that is driven by consumer spending. Right. right? Mm-hmm. And if we are actually going to jumpstart the engine of, our, engine of our economy, we're going to do that by making sure that people who go out and spend have money in their pockets because they have decent wages. That's how we're going to get it done. And making clear that what happens when you give more money to the wealthiest Americans well, they probably are going to just stick it in an offshore bank account. And guess what? That does not make the wheel of our economy go round. Right, right. <laughs> it's quite frustrating. <laughs> yep. And it looks like we're just about out of time tonight. Before we go, let's take a few moments to thank our lovely guest, 9th 
district candidate contender Liz Watson. Thank, Thank you, you so you. much. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Additionally, thank you to all of our listeners and volunteers who make Blooming Out possible. Blooming Out is produced by Alex Ashkin, our executive producer, WFHB News Director, Wes Martin. Jesse Grubb is our engineer for Blooming Out and WFHB. I am Rachel Jones. And I am Frankie Preslav. And I'm Alex Ashkin. Tune in next week for a brand new Blooming Out every Thursday from 6 to 7 p.m., on WFHB, community-powered, or volunteer-powered, community radio for South Central Indiana.